Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Summer Forecast High of 70s, a show that is documenting my own journey of listening and learning of these different artists for the first time as a 25-year-old. I'm excited to be with you today. I am your host, Tyler Henry, and as always, alongside me is my dear friend and someone that I love having these conversations with is Nate Bebout. How are you doing today, buddy? Oh, it's a great day. Uh, it's a little bit cloudy, but we are just enjoying everything. Yeah, that's good. We're you ask simple questions and you don't expect nonsense responses, but this is what you get. So. Hey, that's good. I, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, today I am actually particularly excited about um, this episode today because um, really, as I was thinking about it leading up to our, um, this show, this artist really is the reason why this podcast exists. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the great Joni Mitchell. And I remember a few months ago when I heard Joni Mitchell's um, Both Sides Now, I did some further research into it because it caught my attention. And that's when I realized that I was missing out on something truly beautiful. That, that song in particular is what spawned this project because. Um, I was captivated by it. It's a beautiful song and her music led into obviously a whole ordeal and a whole genre of the seventies folk rock movement. And um, yeah, that's why she's, she uh, started this whole thing. She's been amused to many a fella there, Tyler. I'm only, <laughs> I'm but a name on the list. About Joni Mitchell um, and her great musical career, and so as always, we'll start with Nate's first thoughts as to what he thinks about when he hears Joni Mitchell. This right, right out of the gate, she's a true hippie. Yeah, um, a lot of these folks in the '70s folk rock genre, they kind of run the gamut from like. Um, star child wide-eyed hippie movement to kind of country uh jazzy bluesy like you know all those kind of americana melting pot situations mm -hmm. but but Joni, she's an og to the hippie like lifestyle she doesn't really change a lot about that part of her of her persona and music and it comes through, I think, tangibly in her music more than some of the other artists. Um, mm. You would never confuse this for like country music. You would never confuse this for um, anything other than kind of like folk that is definitely with a message of freedom, of yeah. love, of peace, of flowering empowerment. Um, so all of that, all of that comes to mind. Uh, I think that she is um, maybe because of, of how connected she is to that lifestyle. There are times in which she kind of comes across a little bit kooky yeah. um, in, in the yeah. songwriting and even in the performance and certainly in, in her life. Um, but there's something um, kind of really beautiful about how um, unencumbered she is by um, she she's not stylized um and like auto-tuned you know what i mean like yeah. there's no nobody has roughed the edges off of her she she kind of is what she is um but obviously 
an incredibly gifted songwriter, uh, first and foremost, um, somebody that has inspired her peers uh, as well as, you know, this is 50 years after the fact. Um, but even, even at the time, she's writing and, and rubbing shoulders with the most legendary people, you know, you, you could imagine, yeah. uh, James Taylor, um, all these, all these folks. So, um, yeah, I think she's, I think she's inspired. I think that she, um, she, um, speaks from a place of, of kind of like, um, really raw, um, vulnerability at times. That's, that's kind of, uh, in and itself pretty beautiful. I think she's, she's pretty amazing. Uh, lots of folks have back to her music, almost like a pilgrimage, uh, of understanding what makes, you know, music good. Mm. She, she's an impressive lady. Yeah. And her music, um, is just as unique as she is as a person, right? Right. Absolutely. I, I, I want to start with the question, um, Loosely on, on Joni, but I, I want to ask you just your thoughts on, on music as a whole. When, when I was talking with my mom before this whole project started and, you know, telling her about what the show is going to be and we're talking about some of the different artists that we were going to be discussing. And she, of course, was just loving remembering some of these uh, artists from her youth, right? And she was lamenting how because she obviously didn't play them enough while I was younger, right? And so she was, you know, heartbroken at that because of how much she loves these groups and, you know, the oversight she was, she uh, was very apologetic for. But as I was, we were flipping through some of these different artists and some of their songs and all, and she, of course, was just loving it. And um, it was funny because we probably talked for a good hour, you know, in the living room and discussing these different things. And it was just a really fun uh, mother son moment right mm -hmm, and we're playing mm -hmm. some of these different songs and I get to um, Big Yellow Taxi which right. is her biggest hit right Right. this is after I've already played a handful of different songs from different artists and so there's definitely a building but it gets to this song and my mom just starts crying right and not in a sad way but in just like a, um, a nostalgic remembering of just like man this is like this was the music of her youth right um, and at that moment, it was a really sweet moment. And my question to you is all of that to say, music affects us like that, right? Like mm -hmm. she, we're just talking about music that was important to her literally 40, 50 years ago. And a song comes on in 2020 and it brings tears to her eyes, right? Of just like the memories and the friends and the experiences that would have mm -hmm. happened when Big Yellow Taxi was on the radio. Um, these are songs that Joni Mitchell, obviously, she wrote that one, but some of these different hits, why is it that music affects us that way? I think that <clears throat> there's, um, there's a lot about um, the mind and memory that we're still learning about, like kind of having really interesting new insights. There's a book that came out a couple years ago called The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, and it was talking about how there is um, there is cellular memory that kind of goes past mental cognitive memory. Mm. Uh, that in in cases of trauma, generationally, um, and and so like your body actually remembers it long past ability to cognitively keep track of everything. 
is one of those things that it's almost like our, our bodies, um, they, they put these memories in different parts of us. I talk a lot about this when, uh, when people have kids for the first time, okay. because um, all of the things that, that you experience as a kid growing up, you remember them on some level. You don't obviously mentally remember everything, but, but they're in there somewhere. And then the practice of having children causes you. So a lot of times people end up doing things that their father did or doing things that their mother did, mm. not on purpose. And it kind of like short circuits the brain. It kind of goes. So here I am sounding like a hippie after I'm joking about Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, but there's something about music that I believe and, and, and different tastes up to like, I mean, different senses like smell and taste. Uh, if you catch a whiff of something that you haven't smelled in 30 years, it's like teleportation. Yeah. Um, amazing. And, um, and I think, so that's what, that's what music does. So, so your mom probably experienced what we, we experience in different ways, which is you, you put on, you put on a record that you maybe haven't listened to in 30 years and you're remembering the notes and you're remembering the melody and you're remembering everything you like it. But somewhere on another level, yeah, you're also remembering the people who were a part of your life at that time yeah. and the things that you were going through and how that music spoke to you in that season and why you were drawn to it in that season, why it was significant to you in that season. And all of that stuff probably wouldn't be able to be linearly explained, but it's all being kind of um, physiologically experienced um and so it's it's cool um it's uh in joni's own words songs are like tattoos um yeah and and they they stay with you um uh, in in some ways and they kind of point you back to things that were important to you mm. yeah that's good bring it back around to to joni's music because that was her song big yellow taxi that that spurned that you know, those emotions. Um, as we talk about her career, which started in 1968 when she released her first few albums, right? Yeah. As this folk artist and coming into the folk rock scene, because it's weird, right? Her music's weird. Yeah. And so it's funny to me that as we're talking about just the imprint that music can leave on someone, right? As, as it did, did with my mom, as it does with, you know, so many others. <laughs> When we talk about Joni Mitchell specifically, these are extremely strange, right? Yep. Her time signatures and, you know, the um, keys and all those types of things, very unique and uh, seemingly like breaks the rules, right? And so my question is, uh, this music leaves imprints on us, right? And we remember it and, it, you know, it, it, it brings back all of these different emotions. But I guess like with my in 2020, as I've been listening to Joni Mitchell for the first time, um, her music is so weird and so different and so unique. Why do we, why do we love it so much? Why is it so good? Why is she so highly thought of when she's really not that accessible as an artist? Um, some of the art that we love the most in the last years uh, as human beings, is not technically accurate or 
that evokes the most emotion. Hmm. Um, I think of Picasso, right? Yeah. Everybody loves Picasso. He's probably the most famous painter 150 years easily because his work is objectively stunning. You know, like you might show it to a kid and they would say, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, but it's, it communicates something obviously that people are resonating with on a deep level. Uh, I think that's what's, what's happening here with, with Joni. I think that she, with her weird elf sensibilities, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, touching on something coming through, it's not the most, you know, symmetrical, beautiful, whatever. It's, it's more, it's, it's more than, than that. It's more, you could say, mm. uh, I think that's, I think that's, that's what's going on. And, and I, and I, I, I used that phrase earlier about making a pil- pilgrimage to Joni and, and th- there is something to that. There is something about, you know, um, you have to kind of leave music's well-worn path. Um, and kind of meander a bit with Jody, Joni. Um, but if you do, she'll, she'll take you to some spots that are just sacred, you know? And, um, yeah. About that, that stays with people. And, uh, I, uh, I ventured onto the comment section of the YouTubes a while ago, Tyler. I don't know if you've ever done that. That's a well off the beat. Yeah. Yeah. That's well off the beaten path was uh, Joni Mitchell's song Blue, which we talk about uh, with your friend Corinne uh, later in this episode. And there was a guy who wrote on the comment section, not the typical YouTube comment section fair of, you know, just not smart stuff. But this guy was saying he had struggled with depression for over 40 years. Hmm. But every time he listens to this song, he feels calm and he feels like he's going to be okay. And he said this song that she wrote, has pulled him back from the edge of taking his own life more times than he can count. And I'm like, this is fascinating because the song isn't wildly hopeful or optimistic or even truly, you know, um, linear in the way we're talking about. I don't really know what the song's about other than um, it's kind of a surrendering of things that didn't work out the way she wanted to. Yeah. and and yet this guy, uh, it's it's literally been a lifeline for him for for his life. So so I think that's the stuff that Joni's got going on under the surface. I think if you're listening for uh, sweet hooks and K-pop melodies, um, if you're looking for exact musical uh, execution, you're gonna you're gonna be wildly disappointed with with Joni Mitchell. But if you come in kind of going. Hey, I want, I'm going to let this like long haired hippie kind of take my hand and just kind of show me around the inside of me that I haven't explored a lot. That that's going to be a good time. Yeah, that's really good. I uh, was raised in very rural and um, impoverished area of Canada. Mm. And um, the one thing that I thought was really fascinating about her was that she didn't grow up as 
aspiring to be a musician or um, especially not, you know, aspiring to be a specific musician, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of different artists that you see, they have these idols or these icons that they've been pointing to that they try to put their own twist on their sound, but they try to emulate these different bands or, or uh, performers, right? Just because of, you know, her family's isolation, Joni didn't really get that. And I saw that when she was young, she contracted polio. Yeah. And it was through that recovering process where she was just bed stricken, started learning to play guitar because she had nothing else to do, right? Um, but it wasn't like in an attempt to be somebody. She uh, just simply used her creativity. And so we see that in her music and in her, mm-hmm. and uh, how she plays you know, these different instruments and how she sings. It's strictly just a quality that's unlike other artists. It's hard to pinpoint, you know, who she's trying to sound like because she's so other, right? The one thing that I really, um, the one thing that really caught my eye is how much she plays with open tunings, right? right? And throughout her catalog now, from 1968 until, you know, just a few years ago when she released her most recent album, she has used over 50 different open tunings, right? And as a, as a very average guitar player myself, I rarely drift away from standard tuning. I might throw it into drop D or something like that, right? But um, I, I rarely get away from standard. You're a much more accomplished guitar player. Like that, what does that say about her creativity and her, her ability? think it to me it speaks of somebody i don't i haven't done the research on this so i could be completely wrong about this but joni mitchell to me seems like the ultimate self-taught musician she Mm. she she, because what you're but i agree with what you're saying she so doesn't owe her sound to anybody it doesn't seem like yeah it seems like she was self-taught and in isolation almost (laughs) like yeah like i knew they they get music in rural parts of Canada. So it's not like she didn't know who the Beatles were or anything like yeah. that. Well, the Beatles were coming up with her. So I guess she probably eventually heard them. What, what you do when you get into an open tuning is the first thing you do is you just start fooling around and see what songs kind of emerge, you know, because you're just trying to figure out how to make things happen. Um, and that kind of organic um, kind of discovering the music as you go so much of her music sounds like that to me. It's no surprise to me that she's constantly doing stuff in open tuning because it feels like she is, um, it feels like she's uh, improvising, like yeah. as she's going, mm-hmm. she's discovering it along with you as she, as she moves forward. Um, but, you know, on the piano, things that open tuning on a piano, obviously. Um, but, but even on the piano where it's very rigid, um, and there's less room for kind of exploring, putting chords together and she's putting, um, key signatures together and she's augmenting key signatures and she's shifting to, to major and minor keys. And then she's actually shifting and changing keys throughout the song. All of it feels like limitless. It all feels like there's no rules. It feels like she's just kind of, um, She's just kind of, you know, wandering around and 
like um and all, all of a sudden halfway through the song we're going to change the the key signature and it's like okay we're doing this now you know um so yeah i think it just speaks to i don't know if i think it speaks necessarily as much to her musical genius although i'm not case i'm just saying that i think it speaks more to her just willingness to go wherever um and this openness to lead her instead of her yeah. kind of directing where the song is going to go it was fascinating to me um just in how she um she never was like forceful in her approach to stardom and to her approach to music right she was very much so just authentic she was just herself she was going to create what she wanted to and it stuck and it was you know well received Mm-hmm. Um, as we said earlier, she released her first album in 1968 and first three albums, um, which culminated with the, um, her third album being Ladies of the Canyon. And we've yeah. talked throughout, you know, these different um, episodes of the place Laurel Canyon, right? Joni Mitchell is the embodiment of the Laurel Canyon, right? Yeah. She is, she's the face. She's the face for that neighborhood. This area in the hills of Hollywood where so many of these artists lived and partied and played music and did all sorts of things, right? It's just like this neighborhood that uh, exploded the world music scene. And so Mm -hmm. she's really the face of that area. Um, But it was after those three albums, she retired in uh, in 1970. I say retired with air quotes, right? She retired. And she goes to Europe and she spends a year there just traveling. And I saw at one point she's living in a literal cave off the coast of Greece, right? She like, there, apparent, there's just like a gathering of hippies there, as you mentioned. And um, it was an actual rock hole that she and friends were living in, right? But I, I guess just on this journey of self-discovery and she eventually returns to the United States and in 71 releases this album blue which we talk about later and has been pointed to as you know her best worker she created upon her return but yeah she was just a, a woman that didn't fit into a box right and she refused to be to be put into a box yeah whether it was uh inside the music world or outside within her personal life she was her own woman and that's you know that's something that i really respect and as obviously she made a template for of you know just being unapologetic mm-hmm. i totally agree some um to to go and and leave everything behind so many of these artists have these kind of larger than life personalities and and i i agree with what you said hers hers isn't demanding or dominant it's it's enormous her her yeah. her willingness and her her will are obviously enormous but they're not insistent on the attention they're they're more i think kind of concerned with just following and pursuing the destination so yeah she's she's a little little bit of crazy a little bit of awesome all smushed into yeah. one it's kind of wonderful isn't it it is yeah and we get to that right yeah let's let's talk about um some of the music specifically uh obviously we're going to be talking about the blue album in length but i would love to hear are there any other songs uh, of hers or just um, albums or whatever that, you know, stand out to you? Um, you know, I, 
both sides now is one that that comes to mind for me um of the crosby stills nash young uh episode where mm-hmm. um she wrote the song woodstock yeah um her version is very different than the crosby stills nash and young version no no it, um, it's beautiful in its own right um and then you know i big yellow taxi i think just is her most earwormy song you know it's like and it's been covered ad nauseum i think she yeah. really thing there that that has clearly um the importance of the message is still resonating you know here we are in 2020 and uh debates about climate change continue to rage at least in america everywhere else in the world they agree that it's a thing um sense of uh selling out and missing out on something uh i think the there's a great irony in that uh, she collaborated, um, I think it was in 2008, with Starbucks to release these kind of like uh, two, she released these two al- albums of, of, of original songs and then covers that she did for kind of like a Starbucks to sell in their store. Okay. Yeah. And I think there's some great irony there of like, you know, the, the earth wandering hippie child who writes Big Yellow Taxi the giant conglomerate of Starbucks <laughs> to yeah. put together an album of protest songs. It's like, well, this is a bit strange. <laughs> but I also think that there's a, there's probably something about that, about like, if you stay around long enough, do you eventually acquiesce to the machine? Hmm. Um, and even the great Joni Mitchell, who created three incredible albums and then walked away in 1970 uh, to spend a year living in a hole in the ground in the in Crete, you know. Yeah. Um, even she, you know, can be bothered, you know, later in life to to help create some compilation albums for Starbucks. So there's there's something there uh, that that's profound, probably. Those those for me are are some standouts. What about you? Uh, yeah, I know I mentioned it. I mentioned it earlier, but, um, her song both sides now, which is actually, if we're going to, you know, pay respects, it's actually a Judy Collins song. Um, and you know, Judy Collins is great. Um, but there's something about Joni Mitchell's version of it. It, um, the lyrics make too much sense for it to be Joni. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It flows too well. Right. There's rhyming Um, structure and stuff. It's, uh, It's just so good. I just, her version is just so good. And uh, it's funny because we've talked about just how collaborative these different artists from, you know, this time period were. And um, the amount of people that have covered that song and how you mentioned covered, you know, Big Yellow Taxi, the list is so long. I just think, frankly, of both sides now, I just, I really love It's Beautiful. Um, I also, I love the fact that, um, this is also a tie all time favorite artist to Neil Diamond. Um, mm. he, he covered both sides now. Um, and he was always such a really of Joni Mitchell um, yeah. for as long as he had to like, right. He's forever, but like he, he did it for like, in order to promote her more and saying like, Hey, and listen to this girl. She has some incredible skill. And then obviously mm-hmm she comes into her own and she doesn't necessarily need his praise, but he was right. always singing the Joni Mitchell gospel. And um, 
is how it always comes full circle. We talked about one of the founding fathers of this genre was the band, the band, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And on their uh, farewell show, they put on this, this massive show, right, called The Last Waltz. And it was, you know, this band's farewell. And so then it had all of these different artists of the time come and pay tribute. And Neil Diamond followed Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell played, and then as she, as she left, Neil Diamond comes on. And uh, he starts his show by just saying how good Joni is, right? And sings both sides now, like before his thing even goes. And so um, I love that. I love that that song in particular and Joni just as a person is able to connect us to Neil Diamond and just makes it even uh, more special for me, I guess. Uh, he's, uh, he's another, did you mention this? He's another Canadian, uh, Canadian born dude. I no, I, we, we haven't talked about him much on this show, but. Oh, am I thinking that's, that's right. also, no, 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 no. I don't, that's not true. Not. I, I was thinking of Neil Young. Sorry. Yes. Neil Young is from Canada. Neil Diamond, uh, is he's from, he's from Brooklyn, New York. But, and I hate that, uh, I hate that you like made me believe you there because I was just about to sign off on that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Neil Diamond, classic Canadian sound. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, but anyway, is, um, very unique. Her music is alone in terms of, we can't necessarily pinpoint a where it came from there's no point of origin in terms of an artist that came before her that she was trying to emulate Uh, but we can definitely see her lasting effect on the music world um, now just because of how important she has been Um, and so in those regards i would love to you know wrap up our conversation today with from uh, where to hear her now where can we hear her sound she's kind of incomparable right so we kind of recognize that to begin with and say okay so these are going to be um approximations but i have an album that i feel like is very this is my most hipster album of all time because i don't know that many people know about this artist and this album is from this artist one of my singularly favorite albums ever it definitely is in my top 10 personally her name her name's Gemma Hayes, and she came out uh, with an album, I believe it was in five, 2008, and the album's called The Hollow of Morning. And it, it's not weird, like Blue is weird, or like Joni Mitchell is weird, but this album does what Joni Mitchell's music does for me, which is it connects me with feelings um that are kind of beyond the chords beyond the music mm. uh i this is a gorgeous album i just love this album um, that kind of i have i feel like the same way as far as it 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 does kind of a Joni mitchell-esque move of it's incredible deep intimacy is uh sufjan stevens carry and mm. roll yeah uh album that came out a few years ago after they uh, after sufjan stevens took a break for a while from music uh, he's definitely one of the uh, living legends of the current iteration of folk music. Um, and that, that Carrie and Lowell album is, is classic Joni Mitchell in that explores and leaves all of himself in the album yeah. for you to, to kind of explore. Um, and then maybe kind of a, a, a left field, 
field recommendation, but I do feel like it's um, um, Graves. Okay. <laughs> Golden Hour. Um, so obviously she's country. Obviously she's way produced. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, I, I know. I know all those things. <laughs> that album has a center to it, has a core to it. I was listening to it the other day and, and like there were moments of that album that were like profoundly sad and beautiful. And I thought that's, that's Joni. I was, I had been listening to Joni and I, and I, I listened to this Casey Musgraves album and I was like, there's, there's some Joni in there. Yeah. Um, hmm. So maybe it's just a testimony to how far her influence is, if not in real life, at least in my mind. Uh, but but those are three albums that I think are not like Joni because she's incomparable, but that remind me of mm, yeah. what she's able to do through her music. Yeah, that's really good. I uh, would also just very much so affirm the the Sufjan comparison because he definitely has taken his own path when it comes to music as well and has released some pretty weird stuff. Um, yes. And, uh, I think, yeah, I think that's actually a really spot on recommendation there. So good work there. Uh, if you know those artists or if you want to spend some time with those artists first, um, these are some contemporary connections that could be a gateway into um, getting into Joni Moore. Because if one thing is true, her Joni Mitchell's music is super good, but um, it might take, there's an adjustment period, right? It might take a little bit to, um, fully dive in with her music just because of the unique quality that it has. Um, and so I think that's uh, a really good way to wrap up this conversation. And uh, we are excited for um, our guests to come on at the end and uh, discuss Joni Mitchell's um, extremely powerful work when she came out of pseudo-retirement in 1971 to release the album Blue. Stick with us and we will be right back. Well, I'm very excited to introduce our guest on the show today. It is one of my very dear friends, Corinne, whom uh, I've known for most of my life and would also, I guess, is safe to say would be like the female equivalent of myself. We share almost every interest. So um, we are kind of uh, two chips off the same block, I guess, if you will. Welcome to the show, Corinne. Happy to be here. Exciting. Yeah, it makes me laugh because I do this like email newsletter that I send, especially weekly, but that's a lot of commitment. But I feel like Sam every week always like responds and is like, I think you and Ty are the exact same human. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she typically keeps me up to date on what those things say. And it's very funny because you'll say something like, I've been watching this show a lot on Netflix and without any kind of discussion, I'm like, oh, man, I've been spending the last two weeks watching that show on Netflix. That's awesome. So it is quite funny how that works out. Well, we are here today discussing this iconic album, which is the Blue album made by Joni Mitchell, which came out in 1971 kind of continuing our discussions of these uh, magnum opus creations of these different artists that were found in the folk rock genre of the 70s. And um, this album in particular is just a 
it's an absolute staple of that time period of that genre. Um, and it really is pointed to, even though Joni has such a credible and historical career, this is really pointed to uh, her best work, you know, and rightfully so. It is, it is a very complex, but a very beautiful piece. And a cool thing, a fun fact is that this source that we've been really pulling from this Rolling Stones top 500 albums, which came out a few years ago, this album ranks number 30, which one is incre- incredibly high, uh, but it's also the highest ranked album from a female artist. So um, in terms of what these critical uh, minds in the music industry, how they view different music and different albums, this is the 30th best one ever made, which is extremely high praise. There was another list that I found as I was researching this album that in 2017, NPR did 150 best female albums of all time, and they ranked Blue number one. It's wild. Um, And it shows that, you know, once again, we see this recurring theme that not only is this album good to those of us who are going to discuss it today, it's, it's, it's highly thought of and revered by most everyone who listens to it, which is, which is awesome. And so I would love to ask uh, Corinne, just what were some of your first impressions when you took this album for a spin the first time? Uh, what stood out to you? Yeah, um, I, first of all, loved it. I feel like I heard a lot of the songs before and didn't even recognize that they were Joni Mitchell songs or were on this album. Um, one of those being River. I love River and it was on a show called The Politician. Um, on Netflix and Ben Platt covered it and I loved it and didn't even know the song beforehand Um, and then hearing out on here I was like wow it's a beautiful song even in the original context and so um, I just really was excited to hear like I feel like I've as I've kind of gotten into the oldies or past genres and past decades of music um, some so many of them I feel like I've heard and I know but I just had no context for them or who sang them or when they came out mm-hmm. um, and I feel like that was a lot of Joni Mitchell anyone like the um, the little red taxi I which isn't on red on blue but her song there I didn't even know it was her and I've heard it so many times um and so I just loved kind of having that that idea of recalling these songs that I feel like I kind of already knew. Um, but I loved how raw it was. I feel like she is on all apologetically herself throughout the entire album. Um, whether that's in lyrics or how she sang her notes um, or the chords she was singing, I just feel like it was a very authentic album um, and just really put all of herself out there and it wasn't polished. And I think that's kind of the, the beauty of it. Yeah, that's really well said. Um... And it definitely points to some of just the uniqueness of the album and just how um, unflinching she was with how with her different creations, be it lyrics or music. Um, I also wanted to uh, I wanted to point out that Corinne's Little Red Taxi is in reference to Big Yellow Taxi, which is the actual title of the song. But it's, uh, you know. I'm sure that would maybe we all we all knew where she was going with that. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. Part two. That'll be my original song, "Little Red Taxi." It'll be fine. Yes, that's good. <laughs> Nate, what are you? Uh, what are your thoughts when you think when you uh, listened to Blue in preparation uh, for this? This, uh, I I think I agree with a lot of the acclaim that this album has received, um, and it's kind of one of those things where. 
um, it's it's not very accessible. You have to listen to it multiple times before you even start to like it, right? The first the first listen through, you're like, maybe there's a moment or two you like, but mostly you're like, what is this woman doing? She's stream of conscious singing in and out of falsetto, and it doesn't always work. Um, but the more you listen to it, the more you hear the complexity in the chords and the vulnerability in the lyrics. And you realize this is this absolutely um, shockingly transparent kind of like journal uh, of, of yeah. her, you know, not only love life, but also kind of um, being, being sad with the way that all of the hopes and dreams of the hippie movement of the 60s didn't, didn't come to fulfillment. You know, uh, I think that's certainly an under undercurrent in the album. It's not only is she uh, lovesick, but she's also kind of like world weary, mm. uh, and, and that's coming through. Um, it's almost though, like you know, um, it, these days Oscars, all the all the films that are nominated for Best Picture are like this super bizarre, obscure thing yeah. that you have to be a movie critic to even enjoy. Mm-hmm. So there's some of that I'm I'm like is is blue like it had it was fairly commercially successful certainly not the most commercially successful album that we're covering but as you said Tyler ranks the highest on every list of all the albums we're covering as far as its long standing impact and and you know what it accomplished as an album yeah. So I, there, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Uh, I, I do think it's beautiful. I think it's hauntingly beautiful at times. I, I don't think it's overhyped. But I also think that it's like, do we, in order for things to be really great, do you have to work for it? I don't know. This is me just thinking out loud about like art and accessibility and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. And I'm with you. I feel like I need to um, just say a word of solidarity for future listeners of this album. After listening to the podcast, I was talking to Nate earlier about how um, in preparation for this show, and I listened to Blue for the first time, I had a a small freak out moment where I was like, oh man, I don't like this. Because <laughs> I was like, we're about to have a podcast episode about this. And I don't think it's good. This is actually very tragic. Um, and then just doing my due diligence of like, forcing myself to listen to it again, spend some more time with it. Uh, I really do want to just say a word of encouragement that like, if you don't like it, initially, that's probably uh, how a lot of people, especially and. 2020 if you're in the younger generation that's probably how most people are going to feel that's how I personally felt um but also on the flip side after I spent some time with and listened through it multiple times um I legitimately I really think it's a good album now and I'm not just trying to blow smoke at this point because I have a podcast about it like I really think that it's a good album there are some songs that I really really enjoy um and uh i i it's weird and like you said i think it's lack of accessibility is a is a is a great way to think about it because there's really no smooth on ramp um she's she's just kind of weird and she's very unique with her music and so it does take some adjusting um but again 
this album is filled with some songs that are just like really impressive and um, really demonstrate her musical abilities when it comes to um, her her skills and in, in lyric writing and her actual delivery of the of the vocals. Um, and she's also a musician who plays um, a lot of her own instruments, which is awesome too. Um, and so it does show a diversity in her skills and it, you know, it comes through in that album, which I, uh, after spending some time with it, I really have grown to respect it and enjoy it. So uh, Ren, I'd love to hear, I know you plugged River, uh, but I would love to hear some of your favorite tracks that you had on the album, some that stuck out to you and why. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, yeah, Love River. And I think kind of what you guys have said, I think I, it resonated with me because I had already had familiarity with it. I think it is an album, the more you listen to it, the more you know the songs, the more you come to love them. Um, so I would say River was probably my first because I had already heard it and I love the lyrics and I think it's just really beautiful. Um, although I've heard that a lot of people cover it on their Christmas albums and that's just, it's not very Christmas, like it, it says Christmas in it, but I, it's like, is, is <laughs> Die Hard a Christmas movie? Kind of the same. Um, discussion but I again I love I love River um another one I really love with Carrie um mm. I think I I like the background vocals on it a lot I I was in choir in high school so I think whenever there's a good multi-part harmony or choir in the back I'm I'm immediately in um and I think it, it also dove more into the like actual very folky kind of um genre and so I really loved that one and then um I also really really loved um a, a case of you and so that was probably one of my favorite ones as well um and then again I think all of them the more I listened to it I was even listening to it this afternoon um and there were ones I put on like a carry I didn't have a list before but then I was like you know what I think after the fourth listen I'm really into the <laughs> song um so yeah I think there's a lot those are my three that I really stood out to me um but I think the ones that stood out to me like River uh, especially and a lot of the other slower ones that are very um more introspective and have a lot of more of that stream of consciousness um, and really let her voice shine out. I think kind of what you were saying, I didn't love the falsetto that didn't always work. I was like, what is happening? Um, and I think the ones that really stood out to me um, at, the, at the very beginning were ones that I think her voice, I mean, fit her voice the most um, seamlessly. Um, but and then I loved Carrie at the end. So I think every time you listen to it, I get another one that I, I really love. So. Yeah, there there are definitely songs and particular phrases where she clearly is abandoning any actual syncopation. Yeah, and it's it's almost transitioned into, um, like spoken word. You know, like she's just smushing it all in, even though it doesn't fit in the time signature. And so, yeah, and that in that way, it almost feels like it's it's transitioning into to poetry being read over top of music and not always in, in the time signature that it's, that it's in. Um, but I think it's that lack of polish that does make it more vulnerable, you know? And so, yeah, what she sacrifices in production value, maybe we'll say, or, or at least, um, execution, um, what it what it adds is a sense of um kind of realness and grittiness and and vulnerability that sucks you in you know even though it's it's kind of like it takes your music brain a second to like mm -hmm. go okay wait a minute like it's okay that 
she just tried to smush 13 syllables into a slot that was made for 10. I'm just going to keep going, you know, like. Yeah, I agree. I had to um, keep reminding myself that the things that I, just understanding of just how well-received she is as an artist and how highly thought she she is just through the um, extent of her career. I had to keep reminding myself of those different times that like that was an intentional decision. <laughs> like in my brain, I'm like, oops, she messed up and somehow it made it onto the recording. And it's like, no, 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 no. That was very intentional. And somehow I have to make sense of it in my own head or just move on and understand that she's right and I'm wrong. Nate, what were some of the songs that you really enjoyed? I love the song, My Old Man. Uh, I think mm. it's maybe kind of like one of the more accessible tunes on the album. So that's why I like it as far as it's a standard ballad. But man, what she's doing with the chords underneath is gorgeous. Uh, the, there are some definite moments of dissonance, you know, where she's uh, in the melody line for the chorus. And, and those resolve nicely. But it's the, it's the chords. And, and what she does specifically in uh, kind of like the bridge. Um, so, you know, the, the, the chorus is... Um, we don't need a piece of paper from the city, uh, from City Hall, keeping us tight and true. My old man, he's keeping away my blues. And then in this bridge, but when he's gone, me and them loathsome blues collide, she switches the entire key signature to a minor key um, mm. just for the bridge, which is beautiful because it, it definitely mirrors the sadness that she's going for. But, oh, that, that shift to minor key is hauntingly beautiful and she she talks earlier in the song about how he's a warm chord uh, a lot of people attribute this song as one of the songs on the album to graham nash uh, who was part of uh crosby stills nash and young which tyler and i talked about um and they had a two-year affair uh and this is one of the songs on the album blue that that people believe is attributed to graham nash um so she calls him at one point the warmest chord she's ever heard and then when she switches to the minor key during that bridge, those chords are gorgeous. Just beautiful, beautiful chords. Um, she's playing an A flat minor seven in the key of D. So if you're into music theory, um, wrap your mind around that. Um, <laughs> I, so I, I love that song. And I also like uh, the, the title track, Blue. Um, hmm. And and probably for that same reason, um, and but instead of the the cordage being so gorgeous, I think it's um, the lyrics matched with the sadness of the chord she's playing, and so especially the the very like funny but haunting line of like um, what is it acid booze and ass uh, guns and needles and needles grass. guns and grass yeah there you go. Put, put that with those, those sad minor chords. Um, and if you would read those lyrics, you would think it was like, you know, a rap song, but it's, <laughs> but it's her um, basically confessing that the hedonism of the sixties ultimately results in sadness and that she likes that sadness. I mean, that's what the song is all about. Blue. I love you. It's, it, it's, it's this beautiful sadness. It's the melancholy. So, um, yeah, I like I like Carrie as well. 
um, I Loved All I Want, I Love California. I mean, I, there's a lot of songs on the album, but mm. yeah, some of those slower songs for me were, were high, highlights. On My Old Man, uh, I really love the how you're saying just the the walk-ups and the walk-downs of the chords during the chorus um behind her vocals and her just being able to match those um well just like with her voice those always i um it's just like a bit of lyrical genius that i always really love um some of her kind of wonky vocal uh, melodies that really worked i thought there so those were good. Um, I will agree with Corinne, shockingly, uh, that I think my favorite track on the album was River. Um, just because one of our critiques, if you could call it a critique, of Carol King in our last episode was that um, she's very controlled and she understands her range of vocals. And so she never really let loose in terms of, you know, um, really belting out some different notes in her songs when we wanted her to. Uh, River puts on full demonstration of Joni Mitchell's range um, in the chorus, especially where she talks about wanting her feet to fly. Um, I just think it was just such beautiful music. Like you couldn't listen to her sing that chorus um, and think anything other than beauty. Like it, it just, her voice sounded so good. It went so well with the chorus. Um, and the words, the story of just like, the hectic hustle and bustle. Yeah, like you were saying, Corinne, it plugs the holidays. It's kind of weird to consider it a, a Christmas song, but it's just talking about how like the hustle and bustle is like really just not her scene, you know, which she kind of reiterates in a handful of songs on this album of just her um, wanting to be different from the societal norms, I guess, um, not to conform. And so uh, I thought that was just a, a really cool um, story. And behind that was, you know, growing up, in a rather impoverished family she spent a lot of time as a kid um ice skating on like nearby rivers and ponds and such and so like for her to say like now as this full-grown adult and already established as a musical superstar um she wishes she could just skate away kind of a thing and i really like that and i think it's also like this idea of this, the whole album is just saying how she's really just sad and like 12 different ways um and I think even that that opening line is like it's coming on Christmas and you think like oh so we're happy and she's like no actually this is it I'm it's Christmas and I'm still disappointed and there's still part of life that mm -hmm. I'm not happy with um and so I just think I like the album in so many different ways because she points out all these different ways of life especially in the 60s or when the, in the, going into the 70s that people were finding success or happiness and how she's just not finding it there. I just want to add to the river conversation that when I first listened to that, having never heard that song before, I like did a double take on the intro because I was like, that sounds like jingle bells. Like, yeah. What? That was a mistake on her part for not realizing that her piano riff sounded like jingle bells. And then once I heard the song and the Christmas references, and then later that melody is more explicit. I found out later that it is the intro to Jingle Bells, but yeah. in a minor key. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's like, oh, so she's she's being very intentional. And I agree with both of you. I think it's it's gorgeous uh, imagery throughout. Yeah, that was good. That caught me off guard as well when I was listening to it. I thought that was uh, a funny thing. Um, secondly, I would say I really loved her song, A Case of You, on this album. Uh, just because I just thought it's, um, again, one of the songs that I think are um, 
she's more accessible in this song. It's not as a crazy of a unique song that some of the others are. And so um, I think maybe that was a part of it, but also I just love the idea of like um, drinking a case of something is like, you know, the, it's, it's kind of a, it's a back and forth because in the chorus she's saying like, I can't get enough of you. Like I could drink a case of you, uh, but I'd still be on my feet. Like you won't get the best of me. Like I'm still this strong independent woman that she's always trying to plug. Um, and so I just love that uh, double edge of this, of the chorus there of, um, I can't get enough of you. I want to take all of you in, um, but you won't overtake me or you won't, you know, knock me down kind of a thing. Um, I just, I really, really enjoyed that one. Um, and finally, I think I really liked the Little Green, uh, the song Little Green on the album. And I think one, uh, I enjoyed it uh, through the first couple of listens. I thought, you know, it's just a very pretty um pretty sad song but it's uh you know pretty as well as in beauty um but then after listening and doing some research on the story uh this has been a song that I've not been able to get out of my head um because um this album comes out in 71 and this song is talking about um her daughter that she had younger in life earlier in life that she actually gave up for adoption and her while she was pursuing um, this life of musical fame, right? She uh, got pregnant, gave up this child for adoption and um, never told anybody. She, when it happened, it, she wasn't big enough for any of the tabloids to care about. And so she wrote this song, which is, a, a, as I mentioned, a very sad song of um, just, you know, this lost child um, and it doesn't come out until 25 years later in the 90s, in the mid-90s, that um, she actually had a child that she gave up. A, 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 a news source leaked it, right? It wasn't even from her own intentional, uh, intentional release. It, it got leaked somehow, and so then that spurred her to reconcile with this daughter, and she uh, has since then had a relationship with this child after they found each other. Um, but the reason why it just keeps sticking with me is because she wrote this incredibly sad story of losing this child um, and then doesn't give any background context, doesn't give anything about it. And we don't know what this song is even about. We just think it's, you know, this sad song because it's on the album Blue. We know nothing about it for 25 years. And then it comes out that it's actually a very tragic story about her own experience. Um, and that's just been really sticking with me. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, there's a lot of um Joni Mitchell is um she's kind of on another wavelength. I don't know if you guys watched any like interviews of her or read any articles where she's quoted. She doesn't always make sense. Okay. Like, and so if you feel like the music's inaccessible, try just talking to the woman. Yeah. Um and and there's something about like, yeah, her approach to art that like seems kind of otherworldly at times. And uh, she gets annoyed, uh, as you see throughout the years of interviewing about Blue, because everybody loves it. Everybody recognizes it as kind of an album about saying goodbye to a man or multiple men. And so the question inevitably comes up about who's it about, who's it about? Yeah. And she says in one interview, like, it doesn't matter who the song is referencing. What matters is what I'm conveying mm. and the art that's communicated through the song. Um, so, yeah, like for the last, you know, whatever, 50 years, people were obsessed about who the men were that were behind the songs. 
and here's this gorgeously vulnerable song in Little Green. Yeah. And nobody knew to ask who's who's the girl behind the song, and it was and it was her biological daughter. Um, so yeah, and, and she doesn't reveal that. I mean, so think of how close to the chest she keeps things, while also giving an incredibly intimate and vulnerable album. It's like both. It's kind of shocking how intimate it feels, even though she isn't giving you details or telling you exactly what's going on behind the song. Um, I think it's kind of incredible to think about. Yeah, that's really good. That's a a great insight because um, the album is aptly titled right we've been talking about just how really overall the 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 album's just sad it's a, it, it does have some you know fun songs like carrie in california those are two just like fun uplifting songs um but yeah the rest of it is just like pretty sad extremely vulnerable um and one thing that i saw a lot throughout my research and i'd love for ren to speak to this as well is that similar to what you were just saying, Nate, is that um, she was a pioneer for women in this age, very much so singing and coming to popularity in a man's world. And obviously, as we've been saying, she does not fit the mold of what a woman would look like in this time period, not in her own, you know, uh, persona, but also like in her music, not at all. She's very vulnerable. She's very authentic. Um, and like you were saying, Nate, so many people were obsessed with her love life because, you know, like, apparently that's only the woman's fault kind of a thing, right? And nobody, you hear you hear of all these stories of Graham Nash and some of these larger than life personalities, and they just get the, oh, well, boys will be boys. But when it comes to uh, the songs that Joni Mitchell's writing, they're obsessing about it and seeing who's the muse behind these different songs. And so I would love for you to, Corinne, to speak to just like, from a female perspective, what did you get from uh, Joni's music and how she was trying to, um, I guess, just push forward the independence and the strength of, of women in society? Yeah, I think Joni really paved a way for women to be more authentic and real um, about who they are and how they feel in their, their life stories. Um, you mentioned a lot like there's during this, these songs, people are asking, well, who are they about? And they kind of forget the beauty of the, of the music or the, the part behind the music based on we want to know what men are in your lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in doing a lot of my research, I saw a lot of ties, love her or hate her, to Taylor Swift, um, just because I think that's been a lot of her story through her album, um, so much to the point that she had the lyric um, in her last album before Folklore of saying, like, if I was a man, I'd be the man. Like, you are so concerned with my personal life and not about my music. Um, and if I was mm. a man, you would view me differently. Um, so unfortunately, I think it's a, a battle that women artists are still facing. Um, but I don't know if a Taylor Swift or whatever fill-in-the-blank female artist, because um, there are a lot of women artists now who are so vulnerable in their music. I don't know if that could have been possible if not for Joni Mitchell. Yeah. I think that she really paved the way and she um was you know the sherpa guide but for lack of a better word of i'll cut down these trees so you can kind of walk through this path a little easier um and you and i think her hope was that you know i you won't have as much criticism because i've done it first um so i think 
there's so much beauty and there's so many women artists. And you know, one another one that came to mind um, was Maggie Rogers, especially mm-hmm. with her sound. I think Maggie Rogers is an artist very similar to Joni Mitchell. Like I have friends who I throw on my Maggie Rogers record and they're like, this girl has a really strange sound, like not super accessible, I guess, for the first time listener. Um, and so I think these artists we're seeing today, these very powerful, um, very forward in lyrics, very unique sounding artists and, and female artists, I think Joni just paved a way for that. I think she um, was so bold in her time to create an album where she's so real. I mean, I saw a quote, let me pull it up from, um, I think it was a Rolling Stone. And she said, I felt like a cellophane wrapper on a pack of cigarettes. I had no secrets from the world and I couldn't pretend in my life to be strong or to be happy. Um, and I think before that, women were expected to at least have a bow on their life. Like you can't mm. go out in public and show that you're sad or that you're, you don't have it all together. Um, and I think but she, her making this album really paved the way for women artists to say, you know what? I do have feelings and I do. Life's not always perfect and I don't have to be perfect. Um, and so I think we're seeing a lot of the effects of that today, for sure. I think that's really well said, Corinne, of just how um, thankfully she did go through, you know, all of that stress and, and backlash of, of, of just the person that she was and even with her music, because thankfully we have um, so many great female artists now that have um, really been empowered by this surge that was started by Joni Mitchell 50 years ago. And so we owe a huge thanks to Joni um, being able to weather that storm because of just the riches that we have today, just some incredibly great uh, female artists and these um, more and more indie artists popping up um, each year. And so uh, it's, it's, it's really awesome and encouraging to see. Nate, obviously you have a, a different perspective as by being uh, a man, but do you have any thoughts towards this of just um, the important role that Joni uh, played during that time period? I think, you know, to, to the point of um, different expectations for males and, and females and songwriters, I think um, Corinne was absolutely right. Nobody's, nobody's trying to figure out who James Taylor's love songs are about, you know, like we kind of mm-hmm. leave it alone. Um, but I think that, um, there's something obviously beautiful and powerful about the vulnerability that Joni brings in blue that I don't think, uh, I've ever experienced in a male album before. Um, and so maybe there's something about that. It's, um, it doesn't feel, um, nihilistic. It doesn't feel hopeless, it doesn't feel naive and optimistic. Mm-hmm. It's somehow gorgeous, uh, adult, uh, mature, complete. There's just a lot of, of things going on there that I think nuance that um, I, I couldn't really imagine um, in the same way a male being able to, to articulate um, and draw us into on that way. I think the cool thing of what really makes her music work is, and also just like how she is viewed in this, you know, this really liberating role for, for women in society is just how unapologetic she was. Um, you see that 
Um, she definitely didn't fit the mold. And especially we see plugged on this album in the song California, she had taken a hiatus from music into Europe. And when she came back and was releasing this album, she said, you know, I'm coming home to California. Will you take me as I am? And she really harps on that line for a few measures of um, it's not going to look <laughs> like anything you've seen before or uh, how you want me to look or the mold you want me to fit into. Um, and I think it was, it was partnered with one, she was so highly sought after. She was so beloved by her fans, but also she was like, you're going to take me as I come. Um, and will that be good enough for you? And uh, I think that is a huge reason as to, why her legacy stretches so far past music. It, she really is recognized as, as a, um, a leader in this way. There's a, there's a funny story uh, in which Chris Christofferson, who was definitely in the crew that was creating all this music, he probably could have been another one that we could have done a show about Tyler. Uh, after his initial hearing of the record, turns to Joni and goes, geez Joni keep something to yourself <laughs> like it's like she leaves it all on the album and it's like uh even contemporary artists are almost shocked by how much uh she she puts out there on the album hmm. yeah that's really funny I like that and so finally our last question and our most important question that we ask at the end of each show um is really the whole point of why we are here is do we believe Joni Mitchell, specifically the Blue Album, is worth a listen here today by the younger generation in 2020 who might not know about her music? What do you say, Corinne? I say yes, but again, I think there is a big, not warning, but you're probably not going to love it the first way through, and that's okay. Um, and giving it time, I think, a lot of times we are in a culture of earworms and because there's so much music, if we don't love it the first play, we don't ever have to play it again. Um, and I think mm. there's kind of a beauty in listening to a record enough that it kind of grows on you, which I don't think today we give enough space for um, because there's so much music and we all have Spotify or put in your streaming album of choice here. Um, but I mean, my sister was in the other room while I was playing this today and she texted me like, what garbage are you listening to? Like, I don't <laughs> think everyone's going to love it. And that's okay. Um, but I do think that Joni, especially this album was so real. And, um, and if you love any women artist today who is vulnerable in her music, like you, I think it deserves a listening. I think it, you deserve to know why that artist probably feels empowered to do that. And that's because of the work that Joni said in this album. That's good. Nate, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think there's a learning curve uh, to liking it. Um, I, I am not, I do not believe in like um, specialized music that like only some people can get. And I've heard, I've had albums that people have loved that I just reject that premise of. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite bands ever is Bon Iver. Uh, they're certainly in the folk genre. Their latest album, I, I, I've had many people tell me it's great. It's, you have to listen to it. That is a junk album. Everybody, that's my hot take. That album, terrible, because it's only got three songs on the album and everything else is just a bunch of crappy noise. Um, so, so I don't believe in this whole, like, you know, if enough 
people you respect their musical opinion insist that something's good you just keep listening and pretend like it's good even though you don't like it um so that's my disclaimer and and to say that's not what's going on here it's it's a really it's a gorgeous piece of work um it it's different in that it's not i like the i like the comparison uh corinne to, to taylor swift because um they are very different um you know Taylor's much more accessible. Um, Taylor uh, has a lot less complexity behind the lyrics as far as the cordage of songs go. Um, but I do think that there's, a, there's an emotional core there of self-revelation, self-discovery that people connect with, obviously. Mm. Um, so, so I like that. But yeah, I, th- I think this is a gorgeous album. And I think that um, if you have ever felt like it's 2020 and life can feel a bit out of control these days. I don't know yeah. if you guys are watching the news at all. And if you ever like go outside at night and see a bunch of stars and feel like all the things you secretly hope for are slowly melting like an iceberg in the Antarctic. Um, this is probably the album that captures that, that feeling, the essence of that essential sadness that I do think is very cathartic and very universal. Yeah, I agree. And I'll reiterate the, the points that you guys have both made of just, um, she is very unique and can be tough to get started on, but I think this album specifically has a little bit for, um, a little something for everyone, right? The, the music, the instrumentation of it is is really beautiful and we see just the complexity of some of the different riffs and some of the different key changes and uh the lack of time signatures i guess if you will uh it's very unique and unstructured so if you like uh weird quirky music this is something to listen to uh but also um vocally and lyrically um she writes these beautiful words that are stories and tales that we can definitely relate to um in these times um so the content is good but it's also extremely unique with just how she delivers it with her melodies and her harmonies and the uh very random moments of falsetto and you know like it's just a it's a very unique album that at first may be difficult to get into um but again, I think if we allow ourselves the time of um, spending, you know, more than one listen on these songs, it'll be worthwhile. Um, because again, it's not just us three who are saying it's good. It's it's the industry of music that is saying that it's good and worth the listen. So we strongly encourage you to listen to Joni Mitchell's Blue Album. And as our show comes to an end today i want to give once again a special thank you to our guest corinne thank you so much for coming on the show i always 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 look forward to having these conversations with you and hearing your perspective Um, it means the world to me that you came on so thank you again truly and if you liked what you heard today have no fear because nate and i will once again be back in two weeks where we will be continuing to have these conversations centered around these different artists that really gained their footing in the 70s genre of folk rock next time we'll be discussing a new artist with some new guests and we're really excited and really looking forward to it so please stop by then because at least for this summer The forecast is always high of 70s.